Hey, Paul. Don't know about you, but I, I'm, I think I may be starting to lose it. My, uh, I've blended into the telly. I am half man, half football, and I'm, uh, I'm all about it. I've, I've got absolutely, absolutely no problem at this point with being half man, half football. Uh, a, a festival of football. Yeah. A feast of football. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? So I have not watched 17 games. Oh, Spain have just scored. Um, Diego Costa has just given Spain the lead against Iran. Yeah, timestamp. <laughs> yeah, if you want to know exactly when we're recording this show, because uh, it would be impossible for us to miss the second half of Iran-Spain in order to talk about the World Cup. That would seem weirdly counterintuitive. Um, so I haven't watched every game by any means because real life has got in the way of work and also I went to a wedding at the weekend, um, although I did manage to watch quite a lot of football around that. Um, but I certainly have watched an awful lot. That, that four what kind game... of selfish couple like, gets married during the World Cup? It's not like this wasn't flagged sometime in advance. Oof, is that a Diego Costa goal? It might be a known goal. Yeah, it might be. Um, no, no, it's off his shins. All right. so He's chasing I... Ronnie down for the golden boot. I can't believe I'm saying this, right? But um, can we start with England? Ooh, controversial. All right, yeah, let, let's let's talk about England. England, um, who won two one against Tunisia with a very very late Harry Kane goal. Uh, producer Tom has gone full. It's coming home, and uh, said he enjoyed spells of that game um, as much as any game since England game since Euro '96. And uh, Sam Tai of Bleacher Report um, said that he thought that that some of the spell, there was a spell in the first half in which England were as good as pretty much any team has been so far in this World Cup. Of course, that didn't last the 90 minutes, but that first half was pretty incredible, I thought. This is producer Tom Jenkins. He's clearly Welsh. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not having any arguments about it. Um, look for for a period during the first half, England were really, really excellent, and um, obviously, obviously, the game changed in the second half. I think a lot of that, to be fair to England, was down to Tunisia changing their tactics and trying to shut the game down, uh, which they did pretty successfully. And and this is in the context of many of the big teams struggling. Germany lost. Brazil drew. France were pretty mediocre in winning. Um, Spain uh, uh, currently beating Iran, but it's been tough for them to this point. Yeah, they drew their uh, rope now, obviously. And they drew their opening against a, a pretty limited Portugal side, so uh, albeit with uh, Ronaldo, R- Ronaldo plus ten others. Uh, so, like in the context of some of the big sides not exactly pulling up trees, uh, I thought England were excellent during that first half, um, and in the end got a win that they deserved for um, for persistence. And, you know, the the challenge for them is to, can they break down sides who do that? Because Panama are going to do a similar thing. In that first half, I thought the performance was relatively complete. I mean, I don't know if we disagree or not. The Kyle Walker thing, I, I think that's a pen for sure. Um, and it, it's silly from Walker, who's kind of not under a, a great deal of pressure. I guess you could say it's quite a softish pen. We might come on to this a bit later, a couple of times. Um, but I think that that is definitely a penalty. Um I think that was more or less the only thing England did wrong in the whole of the first half. And by the end of the first half, the XG was like 2.4 for England and 0.92, all of which was the penalty for Tunisia. I'm not sure they had another shot, maybe one other. They did, but blocks and I think nothing on target. But yeah, um, I mean, yeah, all of their XG was the pen 
Well, you know, it's on definitely on the very soft side for a pen. Walker explained it fair enough afterwards. He said he was just trying to shield uh, shield the ball, you know, and it happened to be that his arm caught the guy's face. So. I just, I think if you if you look at the the how far he holds his, he goes with his arm, like he goes behind his back with his arm, like his his arm stretches quite a long way out of the way. Um, and, that, and maybe that makes it just look worse than it actually was. But yeah, I'm not sure he was trying to elbow him in the face, but intent doesn't matter, does it, in that in that situation? Yeah, uh, the dude went down like he was shot, of course, but uh, everyone does that. Uh, in any case, um, I mean, VAR came to Tunisia's rescue there. It didn't come to England's rescue with um, Tunisia doing an awful lot of wrestling. Um, obviously... Uh, massively highlighted by English TV, you know. Of course, we'd expect that. Um, but there's at least two in there that, if the referee had seen them, and you'd think the five extra officials who are looking at TV screens uh, in the VAR studio back in Moscow, if they'd seen them, they'd have they'd have spotted those fouls too. It, it was quite strange. I mean, I think we maybe sort of slightly fundamentally disagree on on VAR. I mean, I think. I think its implementation at the World Cup has, for the most part, led to fewer wrong decisions so far and not that much in the way of, like, real frustration or terrible moments where a goal's, like, massively enthusiastically celebrated and then is is ruled out. It, it seemed to me to be quite sane. And the refereeing has been a pretty good standard, I think, apart from both in terms of VAR and the refereeing of the game. I thought the England-Tunisia game was genuinely one of the worst refereed games. It, it, there wasn't enough protection um, being given and, and the, the Tunisia were basically just allowed to completely spoil in the second half and, and there, there were a few yellow cards I thought were owing that, that didn't get dished out. Mm. Yeah, well, I think, the yes, the referee gave Tunisia an awful lot of leeway in that game to, to spoil the game and to be physical and... Um, VAR, VAR didn't come to England's rescue there. I didn't it didn't stop the wrestling in the uh, in the penalty area. My problem with VAR isn't that it um, corrects bad decisions, right? For the most part, that's good when that happens. Uh, my problem is that actually all it does is change one interpretation, the one of the referee on the pitch, to the one of the interpretation of VAR after it to being the controversy. And there's too many examples when that's the case uh, for me, which is which is just a problem, right? So you've still got humans interpreting interpreting something. So the, the Carl Walker one is a, a good example, you know? So um, uh, it's, it's a matter of inches from chest to face. You are allowed to hand off. That's not a penalty, right? Um, uh, the contact doesn't make the guy oh, go down. We might have some VAR action right now, to be fair, because Iran have just scored a goal and it looked like there was a hint of offside of the build-up and they are celebrating like absolutely crazy right now. Yeah, uh, and then what is sent to VAR um, is a problem too. And then the fact that when it goes to VAR, they don't spot everything because they're under-resourced or they can't do it or they haven't been asked to do it by the referee. So um, it's the inconsistencies that are the problem for me. If it fixes a thing where the ball has gone over the line or is offside or not offside in the build-up or the penalty was in or out, which happened with the Japan game, which was you know an excellent use of VAR, referee called it out. It was clearly the foul continued in, 
clearly VAR fix that. That's great. Um, but the rest of it makes it a bit of a farce sometimes, I think, and, and doesn't help the game or the players and just changes the controversy to being about the referee to being about the VAR referee. It's hilarious that we're having this discussion as this is literally happening in real time in this Iran-Spain game. Like, it's literally happening in front of our eyes as we speak because there's a lot of very perplexed and worried-looking Iranians um, and we're about to get... Uh, either great disappointment or a, a second wild celebration, I'd imagine. Um, the, there was one, I mean, we'll come back to the England game, but the, there was one big VAR decision, which I think you and I disagreed on profoundly, which was the uh, the France penalty. And I'm, I'm trying to take off my blue-tinted spectacles here. Um, I really did think that it was a penalty because of the way uh, the Australian player's leg comes flying up afterwards. And I, I was... I was pleased that you had like Phil Neville and Mark Lawrenson on your side and I had a load of much more respectable pundits on my side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. of course, he just got the ball. So I'm like, fair tackle, mate. And the, the France player runs into the, the Australian player's leg, mm-hmm. you know, because there's momentum. So uh, that was even softer than the England penalty for me, um, you know. And uh, I, I just, I, like, it clear, it was that clear and obvious as an error. Absolutely not. And this is what I'm talking about, really. So, you know, we could be arguing about that with a referee making the decision or arguing about that with a referee in front of the TV making the decision, having waited two minutes for the decision to be made. Anyway, Iran's goal got chalked off. Yep. Uh, they are now very angry. Yep. Uh, uh, and not just because the Iranian nuclear deal has collapsed. You wouldn't like uh, but... when they're angry. Um, so to come back to England, the beginning of the second half, after this kind of... I mean, the, the first half was really like everything I could have hoped for. In terms of my expectations going into this, I think we talked a little bit about having some degree of optimism for England, not in terms of like, oh, we're going to win the World Cup, football's coming home. But in in the sense of actually this might be a group of players that doesn't leave you feeling icky for watching them, like which has been the case recently. Like it's not going to be boring and they're not going to be sort of weirdly detached that there is clearly a good team spirit and it was clearly visible and they were bright and energetic. Our boy, Jesse Lingard, um, his movement off the ball, superb, his execution with the ball, quite poor. Um, well, he's, he's finishing, man. Look, he, yeah. that, his finishing has um, improved over time because that was a big criticism of him and, and this game wasn't so great. He got a lot of stick for that, but there's no other player in the England squad that makes those third-man runs. None. Right, everyone else wants it into feet, which is a, an awful problem if you're trying to break down a team that doesn't want to allow you space in between behind them. Even Ruben Loftus Cheek, who had a very good um, cameo, um, wants the ball into feet as well. Um, so you know, Lingard's the only one who will run without it, um, and that's why Southgate's going to pick him because it gives an a lot of um, it, you know he attacks space. Everyone wants else wants the ball when you attack space. The players have to think in a, an extra dimension, you know, the defensive players, and that's really important for England. He, he had a good game apart from the finishing, you know, as as did um, all of the back three. Yeah, uh, I know Walker's Walker's been punished um, for the uh, for the um, uh, handoff, um, but Maguire was excellent. I thought I think he's a, a very very good fast maturing player. I'm sure he'll be on his way to a bigger club in Leicester soon. Pickford basically didn't have anything to do in goals. Stones was fine in the middle. Um, Henderson in front of the back four, I think he's a problem when you want to um, recycle the ball quicker. He's slow in possession. Right? He's no Michael Carrick and his range of passing is 
pretty limited. It's oh, kind of why I'm surprised that Dyer didn't play because I think he has a better range of passing. I thought Henderson's range of passing was actually quite good against Tunisia. I mean, he's not a brilliant player. Interestingly enough, I'm pretty sure that Iran goal was correctly ruled out there, which, I don't know, there's something something to be said for for that. Um, anyway. But, but that's binary. That's yes or no. Was it over the line? Yes or no? No, no. Was it inside the area or not inside the area? Yes or no. Was it offside or not yeah, offside? Yeah, yeah. Yes or no. Was that handoff intentional? Yes or no? No, it's an opinion. Did the player catch his leg in a follow three, or did he get? Or was it a fair tackle? Like opinion, right? And I think this is the point I'm making. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, it doesn't point, help the referee in that. It's in the that, point that everyone's making, isn't it? Um, that's that's the the key criticism of VAR. So to to finish off on the England game, I thought that the the slow part of the beginning of the second half that there were three reasons for that. One, as you've said, Tunisia really changed their style. Secondly, I genuinely think that England players tired from a combination of the fact that it was really really hot and they must have expended a vast amount of emotional energy. This is where having a team that is kind of more inexperienced does there is a consequence to that. Although I think. In, in net, it's a massive positive. Um, but one of the consequences is they're going to be absolutely exhausted after they finish playing their first ever World Cup game. So I'm not surprised that some of them tired. And the third was just that Ali was injured. And I don't quite understand why Southgate didn't do something about Sterling and Ali a bit quicker. Once he did, though, what was really heartening about this is when the last time, when's the last time we could say an England manager has seen a problem and and had the resources to change it. Because once Loftus-Cheek and Rashford come on, it's a different game. And England absolutely deserved to win that game. And also, the, the final thing, to actually show the resilience to dig out and get the win. I mean, there was a bit of good fortune in that Kane, having been like wrestled for every corner, was just unmarked somehow. Um, but, but that isn't what England have done. England have drawn that game, metaphorically speaking, so many times since the late 90s, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, um, I, I mean, Southgate will look on the... That, that's all the positive. On on the less positive side, Southgate will look at that second half and say, hmm, didn't create a lot of chances there except from set pieces, you know? So um, they'll want to do more of what they did in the first half, which was create from open play. Anyway, that's England. Um, they play again on... Was it Monday? Monday night, uh, Sunday. Right? Sunday night. Sunday. Uh, Sunday afternoon, actually, one o'clock. I know Certainly this afternoon. I've, I've just made plans for what I'm doing for that game. That's how I know that. Yeah, at that point, I will be um, just landing into Shenzhen, I think. I'm going to be in China for a few days during the World Cup. <laughs> annoying, I have to say. Um, shall we go through some of the groups? Uh, Group I, a, I was just going to the- say something before that. Before we, um, before we get into the football, talking of people who are annoyed that they're not spending the World Cup where they maybe thought they would... Um, Spain aren't managed by the same person that they were managed for by when we did the preview show. Is Have you ever seen anything like that in all your days, Ed? No, absolutely bizarre. And and uh, having spoken to a couple of Spanish people at my work, um, uh, and um, admittedly one of them is an Atletico fan, so may have had a certainly you know, skewed opinion of this one. Um, everyone seems to think that this is just a power play by the president of the FA. Um, and, he, you know, he's been in the job two months and he just wants to show he's Billy Big Balls mm. and can make some huge decision and, um, and, you know, cause some consternation in the camp. I'm quite sure that the players would have preferred to have the manager in in situ 
Like it's not like it's unusual for a manager to change after a tournament, or even for it to be announced beforehand. You know, so this this is the president feeling slighted because um, Real Madrid have gone behind his back, and so is the manager. And you know, it's bad communication, and really, they should have just done the deal and said, "Look, I'm leaving afterwards," like Louis did with um, the Netherlands before the last World Cup, when everyone knew he was joining United. It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't reduce his motivation, all the players, did it? I guess the only difference between that situation, because we, we had this chat, didn't we? And I definitely thought the same thing. But the, I guess the only difference between that and, and this situation is this was the Dutch manager joining United rather than like the Dutch manager joining PSV or Ajax next. Um, so, I mean, Spain have had this massive problem in recent years, largely thanks to our current manager, it has to be said, um, where the national team was really affected by the intensity of the rivalry between Barcelona and Real Madrid. So, like, um, the kind of balance of the squad, you, you could you could say there would be some issues around, you know, his use of Asensio and Isco and Pique and Ramos and all that kind of malarkey. But still, I, I think you're right. Surely the players would have just preferred it if he'd stayed. Yeah, bizarre. Anyway, it might might change some of the thinking, really. I mean, you know, they they looks like they're going to beat Iran, um, and that put them in a good position with uh, only Morocco to come. Um, but uh, from being my favourites for the tournament, it's hard to say that's true. I mean, they'll manage themselves to some degree, but when it goes wrong, if it goes wrong. You wonder whether Hierro has the uh, sort of ear of the players because he was a technical director. It's not as if he was even on the coaching stuff. Anyway, Group Group A, yeah. we had the uh, we had the game of death, the death if you're <laughs> against the political powers. That is um, uh, Russia five, Saudi Arabia nil to open the tournament. I mean, the, um, the thing I will remember about that game for the rest of my days is the camera consistently cutting to Putin and the new Saudi crown prince um, with Gianni Infantino sat in between them with sort of Putin looking kind of slightly patronisingly apologi- apologetic every time Russia scored. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'd have picked that seat. Uh, maybe Infantino didn't really have much of a choice. Uh, I'm sure he didn't. Um yeah, you know, easy victory for Russia, who have actually been surprisingly good in this tournament. Although uh, I looked at the, uh, it went around on Twitter today, the uh, the amount of kilometres um, uh, done by each of the teams in Russia are some distance ahead of anyone else, which is interesting. <laughs> home side, home interesting. side, home advantage. Home advantage, making them run faster and faster. Yeah, it must be that. Nothing to do with, absolutely nothing to do with the 20 years of state doping. To Definitely be, not that. To be clear, though, they're not. that data did not show them running faster and further. It just showed them running further because they are Fair. definitely not running faster. No, no, no 38-year-olds in, in the centre of defence. But some of, the, some of the players have performed above their normal standard and certainly the standard of the Russian team... Uh, over the last couple of years and you know rightly a lot of people were questioning whether they'd be able to get out of this group as it turns out Saudi Arabia are awful yeah. uh, Egypt uh, uh, only slightly better uh, and Uruguay aren't that much cop either because they only just sneak past Saudi Arabia today and that result is really remarkable so we are at the stage now where um, everyone's played once and we've seen we've seen the group A the second lot of group A games um, and I guess by the time we finish recording the second lot of group B games too but that Uruguay Egypt result Uruguay Saudi Arabia result is in a way one of the most extraordinary of the tournament so far because um, the the way that Saudi Arabia played against Russia 
I mean, they were just absolutely hopeless defensively. Um, there were a few moments where they like some slight bright technical attacking play uh, didn't lead to much, but you know it was there. But defensively, their organisation was absolutely dismal. Like one thing we know for sure: a lot of hype before the tournament about Golovin. Uh, we definitely know he's brilliant if there are no defenders <laughs> with two, yeah. two goals and a, a very a two, one goal and two very fine assists. Like fantastic performance from him in that game. Yeah, be wary any purchasers, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, buyer uh, beware. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, certainly. Um, yeah, you know, not an awful lot of quality in these games, got to say. No. You know, R- Russia had an XG of like 1.9 in that 5-0. Yes. Yeah. So, but I mean, uh, and, and in fact, like the, the, the quality was in those moments because almost all the goals were really good. In that game. Yeah. You can't say that for the Egypt game. The first one, an absolutely disastrous comedy of errors. So Group B, this brings us to, I guess, the second game, which we're going to talk about in in some detail. Um, I was driving up to, uh, to Leeds um, when this game was going on and in the car on my own, listening to the radio, went absolutely nuts when Ronaldo scored the equaliser. I don't even really like him that much. Like, I'm not a big Ronaldo fanboy, but for some reason, it just, it was just pure drama that, wasn't it? Oh, it's an extraordinary game, you know. Again, an awful lot of mistakes on both sides here, um, but... Um, you know, Ronaldo scores with a penalty and uh, and I have to say a very fortunate other goal. Um, and then that stunning free kick to equalise it at 3-0, you know, and it sort of force of will sucked it into the top corner, didn't it? Was that the um, was that the first outing of any United player in the tournament? I think it might have been. Are we still calling him a United player? Why? United Associated player. <laughs> Why is... Oh, no, 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 not him. Not him. The guy on the other end of the uh, of the goal that was Oh, you're talking fortunate. about De Gea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Lost the clause you were talking about there. Um, uh, yeah, sure. And, of course, he made a total rick, didn't he? Absolutely. Let, let it through him. Absolutely. Haller. And, you know, there's been a lot of debate in Spain about dropping De Gea. <sighs> Um, which didn't happen uh, and would be mental. He's been the best goalkeeper on the planet for the last three years and and uh, it makes one mistake, which, of course, he's done for Spain before, which yeah, is part s- of the, why the, the sort of negative narrative is built around him. You said in the preview, you said he's just made a kind of high-profile Rick and I was like, ah, he'll be fine, he's done there, he's brilliant. And then he just absolutely spilled one in for Ronnie. But that, that, that game, um, so Portugal got off to a flyer, another very soft penalty, in my opinion, given. Uh, given by VAR, uh, where Ronaldo kind of fully, fully bought that penalty. I'm not saying it was uh, a dive, as in there was no contact or anything. He bought it, but it's a penalty. Yeah, if if that's a penalty, the France one definitely is. No, (laughs) completely different and completely different. Completely different. This is, you know, the France one's momentum. And this one is, he's, he's you know, got himself a penalty in the traditional way, which is the defender hasn't been able to get out of the way quick enough. And yeah. should have got out of the way. Um, so that that started the scoring. Costa with a lovely, lovely goal. I'm like, all the talk of whether Costa fits into Spain belongs in 2014 now. Like, Costa is part of the Spanish setup now. Um, and they, they played to his strengths. I mean, he scored again against Iran here. Um, and yeah, the, his first goal was, was a real bit of quality and used his particular version of quality too, like the, the handoff and all that that he, that he did um, in the build-up to that. And then he gets the scrappy one. Um, to put him in front. Then De Gea makes the Rick. Then Nacho scores an absolute whoa. 
wonder goal. What a hit from Nacho. The kind of trajectory to keep it that flat when you hit it like that. A real moment of quality, I thought. And then... Yeah. And, uh, then and rewarded by being dropped for the next game, of course. <laughs> and then Spain, then Spain really started to turn it on. And and we had the the ridiculous number of passes, so seven hundred passes completed by Spain across the course of that game. Like that's almost twice as many as no, it's more than twice as many. Portugal completed three hundred and seven, and and they they just looked absolutely. They looked like the favourites for the World Cup for about ten minutes. Spain did. They just they just really turned it on, but they couldn't they couldn't get another. And in the end, cometh the hour, cometh the the man who definitely believes he's the man, everyone in the world saying in the build-up to that, oh, he never scores free kicks. I know I was. I was like, I kind of got a bit like of a nervous tingle in my tummy. And then I was thinking, he's not going to score this. He never scores free kicks. But of course, of course, the narrative, the power of narrative compelled it. Yeah, interesting. He didn't put his boot through, which is what he normally does. Hits a knuckleball. Uh, he's bent this one in, and nah. it looks it looks even better every time you look at it. It was a knuckle, side foot. It was a knuckleball, though. It wasn't. A, it wasn't. No, an, it's only with a side foot. Yeah, it but is. it's it's his knuckle. It's a knuckleball. It's a side foot knuckleball. It's not a Beckham bent round the wall into the top corner. It's an up and down, isn't it? I don't think that's the knuckleball. Okay. This is up and down, and it's bending from right to left, mm. only from right to left. So okay. it's not the whip that Beckham puts on it, but that's just that's just style. This is with the instep. It's not with the the top of his foot, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, definitely a different technique than normal. Yeah. And, and or would uh, you like VAR to check that one out for you? <laughs> but lovely, just an amazing and and just a genuine, absolute all time classic World Cup group stage game that we'll all remember forever. And any like kids whose first World Cup this is will be like, oh, I remember that Portugal Spain game, man, that was amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, let's not dwell on the rest of the group because we've got an awful lot to talk about. But uh, very, very late winner for Iran over Morocco. Pretty, pretty dramatic that one. So disappointing because then- I, I really thought Morocco we're going to do something in this World Cup like and and watching that game there was every reason to think it and again today Morocco yeah. kind of really unlucky against Portugal they, they played even better against Portugal I think and uh, you know Ronaldo's very early header was enough and, and that was much more of a Portugal performance wasn't it the Portugal we know from Euro 2016 um, Group C France lucked their way to a, a win over plucky Australia listen that's a little strong I mean yeah there was an element of fortune about both goals but there was no doubt about who the Apart from the fact that their winning goal and their opening goal were completely, <laughs> completely off the scale fortunate. No, the first goal that, is a pen. It is a pen. He's the ball is no, knocked. No, the the ball wrong. is knocked out of his you're feet. Wrong. We've been arguing about this for a week, and you're still wrong. No, you're no, wrong. It's it is in wrong. fact you wrong. sit there in your wrongness and be wrong. That is a penalty. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. Um, uh, and then Denmark. Um, very narrow win over Peru Ed, with a, a fairly not, late goal. I'm not prepared to just skip over France this quickly. I'm sorry. No, I've, I've got nothing to say about them. I've got I've got a little bit to say about them. First of all, Didier Deschamps is a terrible person who is reportedly planning to play Blaise Matuidi on left at uh, left wing, um, which just will have me crying into my red, white, and blue handkerchief here. Um, 
But well, also, you got you know this Peru side. You got to make sure you defend on that left side, don't you? One thing that's interesting. Imagine not taking Martial and then playing Matuidi on left wing. Oh, let's see if it happens. But yeah, the, the the thing about the Australia game was he clearly went for priority. We talked about this before, but he went for prioritizing Pogba over Griezmann. So Griezmann played on the left, on the right of the, of the front three, and Pogba played, you know, on the left of a midfield three. And Dembele didn't play very well, so France's kind of front front three looked a bit lacking. Um, and Pogba had a really odd game because for large parts of it, he was quite quiet and he was playing quite deep. But it's his beautiful through, whatever you think about the penalty, it's a beautiful ball that Pogba puts through to, to win that penalty. And of course, although he was quite lucky that the ball went where it did from his shot, it is him that scores the winner. So, yeah. you know, essentially you're talking about an assist and a goal from Pogba in in what was like not a brilliant performance. So you could say from Deschamps' point of view, okay, job done, it was worth prioritising Pogba, but I don't think he's going to do that again because the team just didn't look, that, that balance in midfield just wasn't there. And, you know, it, it, I'm worried about Pogba both in this World Cup and beyond which which is very sad to say anyway let's move away from Libla who will be in action again tomorrow yeah in group D we had uh what a game I really enjoyed which was Argentina versus Iceland yes um, not 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 the highest quality of football nope. but I mean you've got Iceland who haven't got a single player under six foot yeah, you know, giant, giant, uh, giant men um, playing against uh, a few Didi men on the Argentine side, although they're not exactly Spain, are they? But, um, uh, you know, uh, Messi missing a penalty, Iceland scoring an equaliser, great drama. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, I mean, you said you said before the game, it was like free money betting on Messi scoring here. I think everyone thought the same, especially after Ronaldo got the hat-trick. And it's just, it's an offensive narrative, but it is there. You're not going to get rid of it. So everyone was looking at Messi after Ronaldo scored his hat-trick and Messi absolutely blew it. And as, I think it was a football ramble where I heard this, but I think it's been sort of said quite widely, Ronaldo, Ronaldo's performance for Portugal was a kind of line-leading team performance Messi was trying to do it all for Argentina. Yeah, and he, he really was, yeah. Uh, much like, actually, we kind of skipped over... Well, no, we'll come to Brazil, won't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, much like Neymar for Brazil, who's even worse in that kind of schoolboyish, I-want-the-ball-all-the-time uh, kind of aspect to his play. So, yeah, I think I think that's a problem for Messi. He's He's got to integrate into the team. Um, he's double, double and triple marked, and they're leaving Dybala on the bench because he and Messi don't gel, but then you're losing this, like, big amount of quality... Mm-hmm. It's 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 not good for them, and that that is a terrible result in that group, especially since you just do not know what's going to happen. Like Iceland could definitely, definitely, definitely beat Nigeria. Oh yeah, Nigeria were horrendous against Croatia. I mean, I think everyone expected just a bit more. I mean, yeah. Croatia are a good side, and they have some very good players, especially in midfield, obviously. And uh, but they just completely dominated that game, and, and Nigeria were nowhere. Yeah. Um, very, very disappointing. So yeah, of course Iceland could beat them. Playing them on Friday, um, that would give Iceland. You know, if that happened, Iceland would be on four points in a very strong position, and Argentina would be in desperate trouble if they managed to draw or lose with Croatia. Which is which is like easily, easily, easily imaginable at this point. I mean, you know, it's been almost that we've talked about these in kind of specific terms, but in more general terms, it's clearly been the defining quality of the first round of games is that the, I mean, we predicted, uh, I think, none of the, only France out of any of our semi-finalists 
uh, won out of our predicted semi-finalists won and they won very laboredly against a very limited Australian yeah. side so alright let's get to Group B and uh, you know Costa Rica-Serbia wasn't much was it as a game didn't see uh, any but, of that one but Brazil-Switzerland I enjoyed yeah what a, uh, I mean one thing I didn't enjoy I mentioned earlier that I thought the refereeing had been pretty good I actually thought the refereeing here was very poor and that Switzerland were allowed to kind of get away with murder on Neymar to be fair there was there was they rotated their fouls or whatever but you're, you're not supposed to be able to get away with that anymore um, so uh, so I was disappointed that Neymar was kind of given so little protection yeah big worse. No, he, he got uh, fouled 20 times or something <laughs> ridiculous like that, which is um, a lot. Yeah. Um, but I thought overall, uh, fouls aside, I thought his performance was very poor because he's trying to dwell on the ball, he's trying tricks uh, in the wrong sort of context of the game. Um, you kind of almost wonder if he's... Uh, there's some talk about him not being fit for the next game, right, against Costa Rica. If he's not in, it might actually give Brazil a better balance, although obviously you're u- losing a huge amount of quality. The, the the first kind of 20 minutes of that game um, and and like emphasised by the incredible quality of the Coutinho goal, like it was like, OK, here we go. Now one of the big boys has turned up. Have we skipped over? Hadn't Germany-Mexico already happened by this point? Have we skipped a group? No, no, uh, that's in Group F. Oh, OK. OK, so that, that game hadn't happened. Um Germany-Mexico was during the day on Sunday and Brazil-Switzerland was the evening game. Right, OK, so the groups were mixed and matched. Because I was thinking, yeah, this was this was like, you're thinking, OK, so Spain haven't won, Germany have lost, France have really laboured, but Brazil, wow, Brazil are here. But then in the second half, like you said, Neymar was just running into blind alleys, Sweet, Switzerland really well organised and they got their equaliser and, and were good value for one all. Like, it was... Doesn't yeah, seem like I don't think un- so. And I think so. And, you know, uh, the championships star player, <laughs> Shakiri, uh, was pretty good in that. It looks like he's put on a bit of weight. Do you think Shakiri was good in that game? Oh, he was okay. You I- know, but he, he's the player they go to a lot, isn't he? You know, he's, he's, he's the... They haven't got too many creative players. They're a pretty functional side, Switzerland. I don't think this is an you know open side, and I don't think they'll look very open in other games either. Um, so he's the player they tend to go to to um, to set up attacks. Right. So I've just yeah, he got the assist and made three key passes. I guess uh, I just I don't know. I, I I thought his overall performance was a bit questionable, to be fair. Um, and and they they benefited more from like good overall team ethic kind of thing than any any particular individual performance oh Granite Xhaka was garbage garbage he was garbage. and as was the forward Seferovic I thought he offered nothing he just wasn't you know what he needed really was to make it stick I mean better in the second half I'd say Birami um, I thought you know he, he was one of the players doing an absolute number on Neymar but you know it, it worked and if the referees I mean he got booked in the end but if the referees gonna he got booked you... and he's old and they did the right thing to take him off I think you know, yeah. otherwise they'd have been ending up with 10 men yeah but they, they got away through that game with a with a remarkable one all and yeah I just I just it's going to be fascinating to see how that affects affects Brazil going forward because a lot of kind of mental hang-ups in that Brazil side you would imagine after mm-hmm. after last time but well they claim they claim that there there isn't because actually there's not there weren't too many in that side that played in that, that yeah, 7-1 yeah, game right, but yeah. um, and then you you prefaced uh, Group F Germany losing to Mexico this was drama wasn't it I mean this is one of the games of the tournament by miles like um, the three was obviously the best game I really enjoyed that England game I think this one this one's next on the list, or maybe even above the England game, just in terms of 
sheer, nah, 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 I'm having the England game with the last minute winner. But, you know, if Mexico, I mean, this is not an original thought, everyone has been saying this, but if Mexico had any kind of decision-making in the final third or any kind of calmness of execution on the counter-attack, they'd have won that game 4-5-0. It just ripped Germany apart over and over again and then blew it at the last minute. Like, the XG is mm. quite low because a lot of it didn't lead to shooting chances, but... My goodness. Yeah, I mean, they should have been more clinical in those breaks. I mean, they were very good up until the final <laughs> third, weren't they? I mean, Mats Hummels, um, I thought he was he was pretty um, pretty stark, really. And actually, without naming uh, Joachim Lowe, who's quite critical of the manager by saying, you know, I, I said beforehand that we were far too open in those situations. Mm. He's going to have to change it up. They're going to have to put someone in front of that back four in order to provide a little more protection on those you know, changes of possession. When the phases, you know, goes from them attacking to them defending, they they didn't look nearly as good as we thought they might be. And it can't, uh, or maybe be, Mexico was just very good at exploiting it. It can't be Sammy Kadira that they put in front of the back four because Sammy Kadira was. I mean, that's one of the worst individual performances of the tournament. I think Kadira in that game uh, on the Mexican side. I mean, I thought Hector Herrera was the standout player by a country mile. Just an absolutely magnificent performance both in defence and in his use of the ball um, just just superb like dribbled his way out of trouble a load of time completed five dribbles and eight tackles in that game that's like some football manager stats where you get a player who's got tackling 15 and creativity 15 yeah um, <laughs> right yeah no no ex- really excellent in the in the middle of the park him and and Guadado as well you know yeah. basically um, you know in the transition uh, Kadira Cruz and and Ozil as well, who just couldn't be bothered to do any defending. Um, not an original thought, that one, is it? Um, uh, just, you know, really got overrun time and time again. Um, but look, you know, on paper, this Mexican side are nowhere near as good. No. Nowhere near as good man for man. But um, as a team, they looked uh, much, much stronger than perhaps we imagined. So Gallardo, the Mexican left-back, I think, also worthy of special praise. Um, very, very fine performance from him. And Herving Lozano, who we talked about in the preview, everyone everyone talked about Herving Lozano in their Mexico preview, and he got his goal and really deserved it. And then when he came off, I thought Mexico really looked a lot worse. And he was he was the class of the field in an attacking sense by, by a good That's long right. way. Uh, and... Um, uh, Nice little side story here. Um, Rafael Marquez came on. Amazing. Now, now like 97 or whatever. Uh, apparently, you know, can't eat with his fellow pros or anything like that. I can't share water bottles uh, because he's currently being investigated for being a drug mule for a Mexican cartel. You, you can make it up, could you? He's uh, captain uh, in the side at a fifth World Cup. Um, he made his debut before 98 and didn't go to 98 either. So could have gone to six World Cups, um, but still captaining the side at five World Cups. Pretty darn impressive. Uh, pretty, pretty darn impressive. Um, and uh, have we got any, we've got, okay, well, we're group, group G, we talked about a little bit, the England game. Belgium, very comfortable win over Panama. A couple of goals for Lukaku. Oh, you've Chasing skipped, the golden boot. You've skipped the other game in the... Uh, uh, Sweden, in the South Korea. That was pretty nondescript. Yeah, South Korea don't look very good at all. Neither do Sweden. No, no, that's not, no, absolutely, yeah. But South Korea look even less good than Sweden. But I don't think, um, I mean, Germany 
even though they lost, which is ma- like losing your first game is absolutely massive. I don't think they're going to have too much problems against. No, too many I problems. think I think they'll beat Sweden, and then uh, it should be comfortable against South Korea. But you never know. You lose your first game, you're in big trouble, aren't you? And the the thing about this, okay, so an Iranian has just tried to do a throw in with a forward <laughs> roll. That's <laughs> and it up. That's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen at a World Cup. Like fair play. Fair flipping play for trying that. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, this this has big implications for England, of course, because it means that it's likely to be whoever tops the group that plays Germany, because you would expect that if that Mexico side... I mean, I'm not... I have to say, I'm not entirely convinced that Mexico are going to be able to do the same kind of job that they did against Germany, against those other two teams, because... No, no and I think they'll... I'm sure that Sweden um, or South Korea next will have seen that and they are not going to be pushing forward in such great numbers and leaving spaces at the back. Of course not. You know, we'll we'll see whether Mexico has got a plan B other than playing on the counter. And then this this next game then brings us to England's group. So anyway, I was saying like, because it does seem possible that Mexico will finish this on nine points and then Germany will be on six and whoever tops England's group will end up playing Germany in the next round as opposed to Mexico. Um, well, fortunately, Belgium beat Panama 3-0, so we're going to come second on goal difference after a, a very boring 0-0 draw on Sunday night, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, that, uh, that or three, Thursday, next Thursday, sorry, next Thursday when England play Belgium. That first half um, of Belgium against Panama, Belgium looked like the kind of parody of Belgium almost, like these very talented players that don't, they even look like they're on speaking terms with one another. A brilliant, brilliant stuff come out from the the Players' Tribune. Uh, Romelu Lukaku did a wonderful thing with them that came out that morning. And, and I was just like really rooting for him to do well in the game, partly because of that amazing article that came out and partly because he's Romelu Lukaku. And I, I, you know, think of him as an extended family member, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm sure this is it's almost certain to be true. Yeah, um, but so then the, then they really sorted themselves out in the second half and all three Belgium goals are Lukaku. Uh, but Well, no, sorry, the first one isn't the, the Fine Mertens goal, but the, the second two goals. Fine Mertens goal. Amazing Mertens <laughs> Absolute goal. Absolute worldie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant Mertens goal. But then like it's, it's De Bruyne, Hazard and Lukaku all linking up for yeah. the other goals, which no, is what they Much, need. much better, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, they... Uh, they suffered some sort of jitters at the back now and again, but not much. You know, I think Panama aren't much here. If England struggle with them, that'll be concerning. I, I don't imagine it. Um, and yeah, as you say, Belgium much, much better. But nice story came out uh, that Belgium had a, apparently um, attacking practice, shooting practice, uh, competition between the players uh, yesterday. So on uh, Tuesday, um, the winner of this finishing practice was Mara and Fellaini. <laughs> Second place, Adnan Yanazai. Uh, that was one good moment for Adnan Yanazai in Belgian training, but there was a legendarily terrible moment for Adnan Yanazai. How do, much... Do you think him, him and Kevin De Bruyne have some issues? How much does Kevin De Bruyne have to hate Adnan Yanazai to try and murder him in World Cup training? <laughs> like, I mean, that was a tackle that the Uruguayans from the 1986 World <laughs> Cup, when they were playing Scotland, would have been embarrassed about. I mean, 
absolutely smashes him. And and that has to be personal, right? I mean, I think there is every chance that Kevin De Bruyne is a bit of a what's it. Like, I think that's bubbling under. And and everything we hear about Adnan Yanazai behind the scenes is perhaps you can understand why he might put a, a more senior, very talented teammate's nose out of joint once in a while. But still, like, to try and maim him. Like, obviously, afterwards, they were all like, oh, no, this is just the intensity that we play in our training games, yes. But... I don't think what, that was what it was. If you play like that, he would have got a red card in a real game. Oh, yeah. He was so late. And so late. Just violent. I mean, we should also say that the that Kevin De Bruyne's pass for Lukaku's first goal has to be like one of the moments of the tournament so far. Just the the weight and perfection of that outside of the ball, outside of the boot pass to Lukaku is something else. All right, in the final group, um, Colombia, Japan, some drama in that one, and then uh, Poland, Senegal, and and finally uh, an excellent performance from one of the African teams because there hadn't been a lot before that, had there? So I think they're the um, only African team to get even a point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Colombia losing a man after three minutes, Japan scoring, um, uh, bit of drama, but then Colombia were actually pretty good with ten men, yeah, um, and I thought they they earned their their equaliser. Um, only for to Japan to, what, they nearly scored. There was a big debate about VAR. It ended up being a corner and then they scored from the corner. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Can't so, remember exactly, yeah. Um, so the thing that I didn't understand about this, um, maybe somebody can explain this to me, is why Sanchez was sent off. Because I thought that the double jeopardy rule had gone or, or for 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 like clear goal scoring opportunities or yeah, is it just such an uh, egregious triple jeopardy is gone right, right. so did, he's not going to get a ban is he i don't actually no i th- i thought it was i thought the whole thing is you get a you, you're much less likely to get a red card for and a penalty um Anyway, whatever mm. he he definitely. I mean, it was definitely a red card worthy offence, wasn't it? it? Was listeners, listeners, write in, tell us what the actual rule is, if you know. Yeah. Um. Uh. Tweet. Uh, United rant. Yeah. It was. It was. Um. I mean, you know, clear as anything. Penalty. He stuck his arm out. Shouldn't be there. Um. And he's going in if he doesn't do that. So. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, d- I don't exactly understand where the triple jeopardy rule change has come from. And then Kagawa with uh, a kind of penalty that's going to make you really look stupid if the goalkeeper just stands still and puts his foot out. Yeah, this is the kind of penalty that Leo Messi was trying to take, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that Messi penalty miss, right? I mean, again, I know we're, we're because we don't get to do daily podcasts, we're a bit late to this, but maybe you haven't been reading and consuming, obsessively consuming World Cup content. Um, but uh, Messi is terrible at penalties. Well, no, Messi is almost exactly average at penalties. Um, I read a really good article by Ewan McTair on TIFO Football um, about why Messi isn't very good at penalties and, and or at least why he's average at that when he's so good at everything else. But he shouldn't be on penalties for Argentina. Like, they definitely. Well, how can he be bad? I mean, surely he can put at will the ball into the top corner. Yeah, but not from the spot. Like he misses, he misses around a quarter of his penalties. He's Rooney-esque. Rooney-esque in his badness. Uh, Mo Salah, who... Um, who I have to say, you've got to give the guy some props. He's come back from the dead in order to play in Egypt's second game because, you know, he died in the Champions League final. That, that's the only explanation I can 
I get for the wailing, the national wailing, at least from Liverpool fans. Um, I thought you were going to go at the Egyptian people there, and I was going to say, I'm not having this, Ed. No, not the Egyptian people, the Scouse people. Right. Scouse and Egyptians are a fine set of people ruled by a brutal dictator. Uh, the Scouse, well, you know, uh, not so fine set of people ruled by a brutal dictator. Um, You've called uh, Jürgen Klopp a brutal dictator. <laughs> no, I was calling our current prime minister. Oh, OK. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, so, um, yeah, he stuck his penalty in the top corner. Uh, very fine penalty. Uh, Ronaldo's struck very, very firmly. Fine penalty. Kagawa, pretty cool. You'd look silly uh, if you missed it. And, and Messi, not so great at all. Um, but we've had quite a few penalties, some some VAR-driven uh, but not very many red cards. Just just that one so far, I think. Yeah, which is kind of kind of amazing. And and then I wonder, I wonder why that is. I wonder if it's just a kind of coincidence, people being a bit more cautious or whatever, or whether there's some, you know, people have taken the referees' briefings and stuff seriously. Who knows? Um, we well, what they haven't taken seriously is the edict to punish diving because there's been quite a bit of diving. It's it's hard to catch though, isn't it? Not when you've got VAR, I guess, but I'm not sure that it's used for that. I want to talk about Senegal. Um, Poland, I mean, a second goal. This is this is Roger Mia versus Rene Gita, isn't it? <laughs> just absolutely, mate. Totally legal. I mean, he's been given he's been given the nod by the referee to come on, you know, and he's just come on and picked up the back pass. <laughs> just comical. Amazing, an amazing moment, just a glorious, glorious moment. Like one of my favourite moments of the World Cup so far, and the fact that Senegal won this game was was massive because I think I think we all thought that unless Mo Salah's Egypt had Salah at full fitness, that there, um, I guess Morocco probably would have would have been favoured to be the best African side in a very difficult group with a horrible match well just a horrible first result that kind of ruined any chance um but Senegal Senegal are, are a very very decent side and it's really lovely to see that they're managed by you know by by Alou Sissi who we remember from playing the Premier League but also I mean I certainly remember from 2002 when they beat France you know he was a, a huge part of that side um and yeah, so it's just nice to see him on the touchline. Nice to see Senegal win that first game. And given that Japan, I mean, Japan beating Colombia is a massive upset, right? Mm. I don't, I'm not sure I would say that Poland being losing to Senegal is a particularly massive upset, but I think, you know, a lot of people, I think a lot of people thought Poland would go through second to Colombia in this group. It's going to be right. fascinating to see what happens next there. really is, yeah. And Senegal, um, you know, they mix uh, some very, very good players with some not very good players into a good unit. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, Mane, I, I thought, uh, captain, had a captain's performance in that game. Um, Diouf and Niang, his sort of support up front, uh, both very good. Niang, big unit, isn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, he's going to... He's uh, he's going to give a lot of defenders a lot of trouble there, um, and they're very solid through midfield, you know, and they they deserved their win, um, and uh, yeah, Cisse certainly uh, enjoyed it, didn't he? Um, I thought um, I was kind of uh, uh, kind of almost felt a bit sad for Morocco, not just because they've lost and they're obviously a very good side and they're out, uh, but they've also got, you know, the the most beautiful manager in the World Cup in, uh, <laughs> in Herve Renard, you know, objectively a very good-looking fella. Yes, it's, it's inarguable, isn't it? It really is. 
inarguable. Um, I can't see that man without almost bursting into tears about Zambia winning the AFCON that time when their players were singing during the uh, penalty shootout when they won it and it was the greatest moment in football history. Um, uh, what did they win that? 12-10 in the penalty shootout or something? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, one of the interesting things we talked about, Ronaldo and Messi and Neymar and the kind of star man in the side, Mane was not playing at all like he thought he was the superstar of that side. It was it was a proper team performance from him. Um, very, very willing to kind of let other people do stuff, you know, even though he obviously attracted a kind of an undue level of attention compared to the rest of the side. Um, he he was very prepared to kind of be it. He was a willing runner, wasn't he? Yeah, that's what I said, you know, captain's performance. It, yeah. was, it was all for the team. Yeah. And uh, um, he, he took players into space and um, he created and he ran. And, uh, yeah, um, very good performance. I mean, interesting to see how that group finishes now because it really could finish in any order. So where do you stand with your predictions then? Like, because we, we predicted the most predictable semi-finals possible, both of us the same. Um, well, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, England are going to win their group and Germany are going to come second. And, uh, you know, we're going to beat Germany and then Brazil and then uh, Spain in the final. <laughs> it's coming home. It's coming home, lads. I mean, the cat is well and truly among the footballing pigeons, isn't it? We didn't talk about Peru, Denmark. That well, is, we sort of brushed over it. That is maybe the most upsetting game of the tournament so far for me. Like, not got anything against Denmark. I really like Christian Eriksen. Um, they've obviously they've got a schmeichling goal. What's not to love about that? Um, but I was just heartbroken that Peru couldn't do it. Like their fans have absolutely like all the stories. Something like fifty thousand people from Peru. People selling their cars. One guy put on a load of weight so he could get discounted fat people seats. Like, oh jeez, I mean, surely he spent the money in eating. Um, oh, well, maybe not. You could probably you can put on the calories pretty cheaply. I think it's fair to say. Um, but yeah, just and and they looked really bright. Like they looked at it in that first half um, and then it just ah, just felt so cruel that Denmark won that game and, and it's going to be real real big uphill struggle for Peru now because um, having having three points on the board in that in that to, is such a big edge in in campaigning to be the team that comes second to Didier Deschamps France yeah well um, I guess that's it for the game's favourite goal so far uh, well, just there was the games. There was the games um, today as well, right? We, we, we've got the the Portugal Morocco game, the Uruguay Saudi Arabia game, and the Iran Spain game. Not much to say about any of those, really, except Rani scored again um, and has basically got the golden boot locked up already. <laughs> Costas on uh, Costas on three, three though, isn't it? There's only so, four goals. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Costas on three. There's there, there was, you know, Harry Kane's on two. He's got Panama to come. Hey, yeah, that's true. Lukaku's on two, but he's already had Panama. Um, but he's got Tunisia to come. It's going to be oh, fascinating to see that. I mean, so favourite, I mean, one of my favourite goal by far was Harry Kane's winner against Tunisia. Like, I, I I went absolutely mad for that goal. I celebrated that, like, cannot remember the last time I cared about an England goal that much. It's been a really long time. Um, but yeah, I went absolutely mad. It was probably Beckham's penalty against Argentina in 2002, the last time I cared about an England goal that much. Oh, no, that's not true. Danny Welbeck. The flick between his, uh, when he was still a United player, uh, to get an equaliser against Sweden in whenever that was. The one behind his legs, the Welbs, the Zup Zup Say Nada one. 
that was yeah yeah um, but no uh, apart from that the Nacho goal Ronaldo's Dries Mertens Pogba who definitely meant to loop the ball off the Australian guy into the top corner <laughs> totally totally yeah, uh, yeah got- no it's been some good stuff I think it's been look there have been some poor quality games but I think overall it's pretty high um, the goal count's quite low yeah um, which I, I don't know if there's an obvious reason for that I mean obviously um, you've got a kind of squeezing of the the quality gap um, in that some of the worst sides uh, can hold their own. You know, only Saudi Arabia got absolutely battered. Um, Panama weren't that great, but you know, still they got um, they got battered in the second half. They got properly battered in the second. Half. Yeah, so you know, for the most part, it's pretty even all around, which is probably one of the reasons why the goal count has dropped a little bit. Um, actually, I mean, you know, one of the edicts has been that. Um, linesmen shouldn't call marginals because that'll go to VR, VAR anyway. You'd you'd think that uh, that might have helped the the goal count, but you know it hasn't really. Um, That's I mean, what happened in the in the Spain Iran game, isn't it? That, yep. that it wasn't flagged because it was fairly marginal. I mean, I I wonder whether actually a big big part of the reason for the low goal count has been a relatively a relatively low attacking quality. So if you think about the the games, so. There's been a handful of like quite dull games, Costa Rica against Serbia, Portugal, Morocco, well, not maybe not that one actually, but Uruguay, certainly every game Uruguay have been involved in has been absolutely terrible so far. Um but but not that and Sweden South Korea, that's probably the only boring games. But then like Argentina struggled with quality to to overcome Iceland. Germany obviously struggled with quality and Mexico were really wasteful that that contributed to that score line staying down switzerland kicked brazil to a 1-1 uh, france let everyone down portugal and spain they had so much attacking quality and they showed it i mean spain have only beaten iran 1-0 but iran were putting literally like nine ten men behind the ball for most of the game so one nil's perfectly fine there so i, I think i think in general it's a lack of attacking quality that's kept the score lines down um, bodes well for the 48-team World Cup in 50-degree heat in Qatar. Um, awesome. I'm not, I'm not awesome. getting cynical about the World Cup right now, though, because I am in full just plug it straight into my veins mode. I think I've worked out that I can watch 12 games over the next four days, and I'm absolutely buzzing. Like, I think I'm going to watch nice. every one. Uh, you should do it. I'm, uh, I'm going to miss a few because I think I'll... I'll manage to watch most of the first two games tomorrow in between travelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll miss the third one and then I'm going to miss most of the late games for the next week or so because I'll be in China seven hours ahead. Um, so it's, it's hard to start a game at two in the morning, got to say. Yeah, memories of uh, Ivory Coast against Greece in the last World Cup. Um, yeah, So, um, but the, you know, then I'm back for the second round, so that's all good. Yeah, we, we the, the next four days are kind of uh, one of the reasons that I'm kind of committing myself to watching all these games is because I know I'll regret it when it comes to Monday and there's only two games on the television. It's like, uh, I mean, it's a good rule. You have to play the final group games at the same time, obviously, but it does hurt when there stops being three games a day on. Well, you can put both of them on at the same time, of course, which is what I fully intend to do. Um, yeah, but you don't. You know, it's not. It's not like it, it's not the same. It's not. The, I'd rather watch three games separately than four games with two of them concurrent. And um, I wanted to send a very special thanks to Stu Robinson, 
who has um he doesn't use Twitter, but he's a long time listener and he contacted me and uh, he said, um, I'm not on Twitter, but can you ask Ed which his favourite Hey Dougie badge is? <laughs> the uh, the uh, Russian doping badge. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stu was kind enough to send through his uh, band's track, Russia, which you'll hear as we play out this show. We were supposed to only be playing out with... Uh, bad songs but Stu sent us a good one so I don't know about bad songs iconic World Cup anthems like that Hey Dougie Kick It song I've kind of had that song stuck in my head a little bit Ed it's, it's pretty good it's pretty good kicky 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 90s banger the, the thing that's a bit disappointing though is I've discovered it's just like a reskin of a previous song that just went sticky 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 it was the same Hey Dougie uh, like recycling their material I'm, I'm well i mean that's every hey dougie show you know what all the songs end they're all the same no 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 they, the 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 stories are basically the same they do an activity yeah making something cooking something doing something right and then they get their something badge nice talking of i can't think of a good segue talking of the world cup um what do you think is going to happen then? Who Who is your current picks to go through from all the groups? Obviously, we know Russia and Uruguay are going through from Group A. That's, well, that's confirmed. Probably, yeah. No, probably. they've both got six points. Oh, they've both got six points. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's yeah. nothing probably about it. Yeah, so yes, Russia, Uruguay, and then I guess Portugal, Spain. I mean, it's, Iran can certainly do something. It's going to be fascinating, isn't it? Because Iran are playing Portugal last, aren't they? Iran so, playing Portugal last and... Um, they will have to give it a go, and I'm sure they will give it a go. Although they're, you know, they're not necessarily a really expansive side. It's no, neither are Portugal, of course. So it'll be a tight one. <laughs> I think um, saying that describing Iran as not necessarily a really expansive side is the is like when I said that the Dries Mertens goal was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're quite negative, uh, but so are Portugal, um, France, Denmark. You 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 know, bank them as pretty uh, hot favourites now, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, you know, Australia not very good side they, they put up a good fight against um france but there wasn't an awful lot to them and peru, peru actually played pretty well against denmark so they can do something against australia but you wouldn't expect them to do anything in, against france so that, Although, that like, looks like france denmark you wouldn't um, you wouldn't be i i would not be shocked at all if Deschamps absolutely blows this from here on out like i'm not saying i think that's definitely going to happen or anything but if if somehow like denmark you could easily easily see France um, messing up against Denmark. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll see the, the Peru game tomorrow. We'll tell a tale of that one. That might have happened by this point. So Zidane should just go to the World Cup and sit behind Deschamps, <laughs> you know, as the man in waiting. <laughs> yeah, they should have given him the Spain job, really, is what they should have done. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, Croatia, Iceland, Argentina, Nigeria. Well, Nigeria was so disappointing. You, you just don't, I just don't know how you recover from that kind of performance. Um you know, whether they can really go again. I'm not sure I believe it, but I don't know how to pick two from Iceland, Croatia, Argentina. It, it matters a lot what happens between Croatia and Iceland. Uh, so Argentina next, because Iceland playing Nigeria, um, there's no guarantee that they get a result there. But, you know, given the momentum they got with that draw against Argentina, you make the marginal favourites in Croatia, Argentina's going to be really close. Imagine if Messi doesn't get out of the group stages and Ronaldo wins the golden boot. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, Serbia, Brazil, Switzerland, Costa Rica. Ah, that it's is gonna be tight. so I mean, hard to pick. 
Switzerland got a good draw though, and um, you know I think they're probably just a better side than than Serbia, but only just. I mean, and and Serbia have got three points in the bag because it's not like Costa Rica couldn't do something. You know, I think I think I think kind of confidently calling that for Switzerland and Brazil, I, I wouldn't. I, I'm not confidently calling. I'm marginally calling. Okay, okay, marginally because Serbia basically got to match that result now, so they've got to not lose to Brazil. Yeah, I guess so. Although yeah. it depends, well, it depends what happens between Serbia and everyone, which is of course a big assumption. But yeah, yeah. Like, since I got Costa Rica in the World Cup in the in the work sweeps, uh, no, no, I got Costa, yeah, I got Costa Rica in the work sweeps and Tunisia in the full time Devils sweeps. You know, absolutely stuffed on both fronts there. Surely the really big one here is Switzerland against Serbia. Like that's that's yeah. going to be the defining yeah. game, isn't it? So yeah. fascinating. Um, but Switzerland could get away with the draw there basically, I think. Um, Sweden, Mexico, South Korea, Germany. Uh, you can't imagine Germany going to be as bad again. Too many good players, qualified comfortably enough. Uh, just too many good players to play that badly again. Do you think we're going to be in a kind of Spain 2010 situation where the, the kind of, mind you, no, Spain 2010, nah. like they played all right against Switzerland in that opening game. I think... Yeah, I then, think then that- it got mega thumped. Uh, I, I don't see this with Germany. I, I, I think they'll bounce back. I don't think Sweden that good. I think Germany will beat Sweden next time out. Sorry, I meant Spain 2010 when they lost their first game and then went on to win the World Cup. Right. That's, that's what right. I was saying. Because I'm not convinced. I, it feels like... Germany's problems. I mean, the, the fact they didn't take Lee Orisane is just looking like such a terrible decision right now, isn't it? Well, not that Draxler was bad. I mean, he played off the left and, you know. Uh, but, I mean, wouldn't you really have wanted a player like Sane to be able to come on in that game? Like, anyway, uh, I think Belgium and England, and now that England have navigated their way past Tunisia, I mean, that's such a... If that had been a draw, it would all have been so nervy and horrible. But instead... Sir Harry, England's first brace. Do you know when the last time England got a brace, a player, an England player got a brace at the World Cup was? And Gary Lineker against uh, Cameroon in 1986, 1990. 1990, a very, very long time ago. Um, and I think that's the first time England have won their opening group game for about 100 years or something um, as well. So. Yeah. Massive. They'll beat Panama, um, and then uh, we'll see what happens between England and Belgium. But I, I, you know, pretty confident that Belgium and England are going through from that group. Yeah, the only the only group so far where the two teams that you'd think, yeah, this is nailed on, look basically nailed on now. I mean, I guess you could say Spain Portugal, but I'm, I'm I don't know that Portugal Iran game could do all sorts of bits. Um, and then yeah, the final group, final group is just like, uh, well, I guess. Yeah, the final group is just throw throw a bunch of cards up in the air and, and see what lands. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to call that one. Um, big, big, big games coming up um, uh, in the second round, which you know, which might change everything. I mean, I've, Colombia and Poland are definitely not out of this. I've just realised I made a big mistake earlier because I was thinking about Germany in relation to the team that England will play in the next round. But of course... They don't play anyone from that group in the next round. It's it's who gets to the quarterfinals. So yes. actually, yes. right, okay, right. So what we ideally want is for someone other than Germany to top that group and England finish second in their group and beat whoever they play uh, from Group H and get to the quarterfinals against someone other than Germany or Brazil. That'd be that'd be good. It opens up the draw in a very different way at that point. 
Uh, well, England. we'll see. You've got to beat what's in front of you and all of that, you it, know. It's so coming out. England had to bring, beat Germany, Brazil, and then Spain to win the World Cup. That's just, just what's going to happen. <laughs> so be it. Marcus is winning the golden boot, too. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Back and stay tuned. We've got some bonus content for you. And um, yeah, I hope everyone's really enjoying the World Cup as much as we are. And like like Ed said earlier, we're not 100% sure when we'll be back with another episode, but we will um, as soon as he gets back from China. All right. Speak to you then. And the World Cup Rankcasts, like all the Rankcasts, are brought to you by the good people who choose to back us over at patreon.com slash rantcast. We choose to crowdfund the show so that we don't ever run adverts, uh, mostly because I don't like the kind of adverts that often run on football podcasts. But hey, that's a rant for another time. Uh, if you choose to back the show at a $5 plus VAT a month or above level, you get a little bit of extra bonus content. And this week, we decided to rate all the World Cup pundits in two grades right he gets an a for style because it's entertainment it's an entertainment medium um but his technical points are about a c or a d because he really doesn't really actually say that much no he just wants football to be like he thinks football should be that's right. and it's never going to be that again um uh, someone who's getting f for style and substance is i'm afraid ryan Giggs. there's just nothing there the thousand yard wow. stare is is there's just nothing there He's no thinking. he did he did one really good... So they haven't let him in the studio very often, but I can't remember what game it was. Maybe it was Russia-Saudi Arabia, actually, the opening game. And he did a VT with Eni Aluko and... Um, not a VT, but an in-stadium in bit with Jackie Oakley and Eni Aluko. He looked really alive. Like, clearly, the key is put him with women. Because, like, <laughs> then he that's feels, the like, he that's feels like he has to perform. He has to kind of, that's right. like, do... And, and he was, like, he was up for it. And maybe he was just excited it was the first game of the World Cup or whatever. But it was nice to see Ryan Sticking Giggs on the pitch excited. with some ladies and uh, he'll go for it. Yep. And do good uh, punditry. Yeah, but most of the time he's just, like, he's just talking. He's saying nothing. He mostly repeats the question yeah. uh, back as the answer. And, and then he went on this one lengthy ramble. My, uh, my, um, my... Uh, Grandfather used to tell stories, and uh, you're never quite sure when the end would come. <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those ones you're like, is this the end? Is this the end? He's a lovely man, but um, he liked a long story. Yeah. So does Ryan Giggs. He's going to be a very, very boring granddad. <laughs> um, <laughs> to a complicated web of grandchildren from various <laughs> different lineages, but let's not get into that. Um, the uh, Enya Luko... There was one big brouhaha featuring Aluko and Evra, and I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. Like, Evra applauded her.